Lauren, Jocelyn, and Riley, and everyone else who is here, for them or not for them, grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. The Word of God that calls for our attention this morning comes to us from the reading from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So far our text. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. As in every generation before you, you three echo the words of the Ethiopian eunuch. How can I understand unless someone guides me? Therefore, you've had the last two years of intensive study of God's Word in the small catechism. You could have just read this book by yourself, but would you have understood it? No. Not by yourself, because you would have no one guiding you in that study. You would just be studying words like in every other class you have in school. But this book is different. This book requires guidance from someone else. And you remember this from the last couple of weeks of confirmation class. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. You have been guided to this point by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit always uses means. As we look at our sermon text this morning, we see the Holy Spirit's means in the two main characters. The Holy Spirit brings these two men together for a brief moment. But that brief moment impacts the rest of their lives. Just as your baptism was a brief moment that none of you remember. You don't remember it, Riley. You don't. <laughs> and just like today will be a brief moment. It will all pass in a blur. But they have and will impact the rest of your lives. First, we're introduced to Philip. He's one of the seven deacons recently appointed in Acts 6. The Holy Spirit approached him through an angel of the Lord, sending him to the desert to preach. And Philip willingly follows the Holy Spirit's prompting. In the desert, sitting in his chariot, is an Ethiopian, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure, a major player in world politics, a man with access to all the riches of an entire kingdom. Why was he in the desert? Why is Philip sent to him? He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Even though he was an Ethiopian, he was a believer in Yahweh as the one true God. And what was he doing on his way home? He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now this doesn't sound like that big a deal. I mean, after all, Isaiah is only one book in our Bible. And Bibles are plentiful. You can even get it on your phone. And it only takes up 61 pages, so it's not even that big of a book. What's the big deal? 
in the first century, scrolls were extremely rare, all of them having to be written out by hand and were very expensive. Not many people could afford one, much less read it. So we see the Ethiopian's means on display as he's able to both obtain and read this scroll of Isaiah. So what is the eunuch's problem, though? Why does he need Philip? Like a shepherd, he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. A great passage we understand as talking about Jesus and the events of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, where Jesus is betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he stands before Pontius Pilate and refuses to answer any of the charges brought forth by the chief priest. The eunuch asks the question, about whom is he talking? Does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Is Isaiah talking about his own death? Or is he talking about someone else? We know that Isaiah is talking about Jesus. But the eunuch doesn't know that. The eunuch had every right to question what he was reading. More than likely, this was the first time he had ever heard this passage. Even today, this passage is skipped over in Jewish synagogues because it doesn't work with their preconceived notions of the Messiah. After all, the Messiah is supposed to be this great and glorious prophet like Moses. He's not supposed to suffer and die. The apostles had the same problem, because they were taught the same thing. Jesus turned their world upside down, and so they went out and turned the rest of the world upside down. And St. John can encourage us in his epistle, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So Philip climbs into the chariot, and the two of them discuss this passage as it relates to the entire Old Testament. Then Philip instructs him that the Messiah has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, that he was handed over to the chief priest, was crucified, died, and was buried, as we just confessed. That the foe was triumphant when on Calvary the Lord of creation was nailed to the tree. The crucifixion was supposed to be the final judgment against Jesus. But short was their triumph. The Savior arose, and death, hell, and Satan, he vanquished his foes. Running through all the scriptures about Jesus, Philip brought him up to the point where Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only through Jesus' death and resurrection do we find salvation. Do we find hope for this life and the next. Now no more can death appall. Now no more the grave enthrall. Philip's proclamation resounds so well that the eunuch, while passing by, even just maybe a puddle of water in the desert, says, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And with this baptism, he makes a great confession. However, this confession is not found in all of the copies of the book of Acts that we have. So it wasn't actually read or printed this morning. But this confession is the very same confession you three will make in just a few minutes. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the great moment 
of confirmation. Those simple words being spoken, that's the brief moment that goes by as a blur, but impacts the rest of your life. And you say these words not because they're in the hymnal in your hands. Remember to bring them up. Just because you're supposed to say them. But because you actually believe those words. And you've confessed that faith through the hymns you chose for this morning. Beautiful Savior, King of creation, Son of God, and Son of Man. Yet He who dwells in heaven above chooses to live with us in love, making our bodies His temple. And at the last, to keep thine Easter with thy faithful saints on high, there to thee forever singing, Alleluia's joyfully. The same proclamation made by Philip and by the Ethiopian eunuch, now by you. And this is made in plain in the vows that you will take to remain faithful to the Word. So how do you do that? Now that at least one of you, maybe two of you, have kind of mourned the fact that you're done with confirmation class and you don't get to see me every Wednesday. Keep yourself grounded in the Word, especially through Bible study, both corporate and individual. As I have said before, and you'll hear me say it again, over and over, confirmation is just one step on the journey of the Christian life. Nothing ends here today. In fact, it only begins. Today, through your confession, you identify yourself as a branch of the true vine, Jesus Christ. You take ownership of the fruit that you bear for Christ. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So how do you abide in Christ? Like Philip and the eunuch, you study the scriptures. And you see that when Jesus was blessed, he replied, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He is the word made flesh, so we probably ought to listen to him. Those who keep God's Word bear abundant fruit because the Word is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Bringing us, calling us, enlightening us, keeping us holy, helping us to bear fruit. As we heard earlier, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit strengthens you so that you may bear fruit through your witness, not only in your life, but also in your study. And your study shows that you are infirm, frail, and sick with sin. So you pray daily, as every Christian should, help us in our infirmity. Grant us to grow in grace each day. You can pray this, because Jesus has made you the promise. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's always there in His Word, just as He is always with His church, and in sacraments. And Jesus promises to be with you every step of your journey. And so you continue to praise Him as He guides you as a pilgrim through this barren land. Under His guidance, we pray, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. When do you get to the point where you want no more? I mean, this morning, when you receive communion, is that it? No. No. Not until you are standing before Him in heaven can you say that you want no more because you have everything that you could possibly ever want. 
Until then, we continue praying. And that's the one thing missing for the Ethiopian eunuch. He doesn't receive the sacrament, but he still went on his way rejoicing. He was baptized. He was redeemed and forgiven by the water and the word. He rejoiced because he could go back home. Because his sins were forgiven through the Son of God who was crucified. Therefore, he could, with everything that has breath, praise the Lord. According to church tradition, this eunuch goes home and establishes the church in Ethiopia. Possibly even inside the queen's court. He did this because his baptism into Jesus' death and resurrection instilled the voice of joy that cannot die. The hallelujahs we raise as Christians are all based on this same deathless cry of joy. Knowing that through baptism, Jesus' paschal blood has been poured out over each and every one of us. And where the paschal blood is shed, death's dread angel sheathes his sword. And today, that church in Ethiopia still stands. Lauren, Jocelyn, and Riley... The Holy Spirit has guided you this far along your journey. And He's not finished guiding you. And He has brought others into your lives to guide you on this path. Jan and I to teach you confirmation class. Your Sunday school teachers, your parents, your godparents and baptismal sponsors. All of them brought together for you to guide you into the way, the truth, and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. To bless you as you hear and keep His Word, to remind you that He is with you always, even to the end of the age. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.